Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. What's the heist you'd seen in a Hollywood movie? Authorities still don't know who took it. It's a mystery, an unsolved case. Many thought a $160 million masterpiece was gone forever until it turned up in Silver City. There's basically three types of thieves. The first type is the theft of opportunity. The second is the individuals who are doing it for money. And then there's the third kind of art thief, and that's the art thief who steals for themselves. And those are the most dangerous. Rita and Jerry Alter were my aunt and uncle. Oh, they were definitely soulmates, and he would do anything for her. Their house was full of souvenirs from their travels around the world. It seems like this couple is really the story here. They're the mystery. If you've got the right psychology, you go after that painting. You take it, you make it yours. They saw themselves as masters of victimless crimes. This is crazy to me that it was just hanging up on their wall. We didn't know the real Jerry and Rita. The thief collector is the darkest of them all. Wasn't it worth about 300,000? 160 million. 160. Yeah. Well, my personal opinion, I wouldn't give you $5 for it. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 534. Out now on demand is The Thief Collector, a true crime documentary that tells the story of how unassuming New Mexico couple Jerry and Rita Adler managed to pull off one of the great art heists of a generation when in 1985 they stole a painting worth $160 million. Proving truth is stranger than fiction, The Thief Collector is an engrossing and fascinating delve into a 30-year mystery and remarkable revelations that sprung from it. And joining me now on the podcast to talk about The Thief Collector is the film's director, Miss Alison Otto. Alison, how are you today? Good. Thank you for doing this. I'm excited to chat with you, and I'm so thrilled that you liked the film. I love the film. I am a big fan of kind of like the unassuming kind of like true crime movies because I think the true crime genre sometimes deals with some really kind of gritty kind of things. So to watch movies kind of like The Thief Collector where, you know, on one end you think you're going to deal with something that might be a bit light, but then as the film progresses, there's just this, these turns the film's take. And I absolutely love movies like that. I love The Ride. And for yourself, you first found out about The Adlers some time ago. You read an article of the Smithsonian uh, website, I'm pretty sure. And it was right. something that really spoke to you. I think you're working for the, the BBC at the time. Um, so I'm just really curious when you read the article and you, and you hear about the Adlers and these, these heists that they did, what was it that, that spoke to you at that time as a, a filmmaker, as a journalist, as a documentarian that said to you, you know, this is material that I need to dive into because the process to put a documentary together, whether it be a short or a feature link, is something you have to put a lot of time into. I'm sure you don't take those decisions lightly when you jump into a subject. No, like when I first read about the story on the Smithsonian website, it was just one of those stories that haunted me. And I kept thinking about it. And then later, 
you know, as a, as a freelancer for the BBC, when they put out a call for true crime stories, that's when I decided to revisit it and um, started to dig into it a little bit. Um, and as soon as I started talking to the nephew, the executor of their estate, I realized that there's much more to this story than a traditional true crime paint by numbers um, film that you would see or docu-series. So for me, like the the theft of the painting is really kind of like the the tip of the iceberg, like it's this, it's a, it's a deep dive into the psyche of this couple and all of the strange things that happened around them. And then, you know, this perfect storm of, of quirky characters and how all of these different people whose lives crossed paths with this particular painting, how they, how their lives changed as a result of, of that and how they acted after seeing this painting, you know, or after coming into um, contact with this painting. That's really interesting to me. You know, you've got the altars acted one way after they saw it and the the antique store owners acted another way. Um, and then you've got the nephew who had his own interaction with the painting. So that to me is really um, the one of the most fascinating parts of the story. You know, a documentary is about discovery as much for the filmmaker as it is to the audience watching it. You really have to go with the tie, don't you, when you when you when you're jumping into it. Um there are, like I said before in my in my um I think I said in my introduction, I said to you off air, there are left turns in this in this movie that I don't want to get into because I want to keep the, the revelations fresh. However, when you you yourself delve into this story and you follow the the breadcrumbs around and you and, and to jump into the lives of this couple, um, how does that kind of affect you as a filmmaker, as a person? I mean, when it comes to the logistics of putting the film together, you have to go to New Mexico, go into all the people, and then you've come up with all these other material. What happens with you as a filmmaker and a, and a storyteller? Do you have to go back to the drawing board? Do you have to like rethink everything? Is it a way? Uh, that you once perceived this uh, this story uh, going in your head, now it's all changed. How does that all kind of change for, for you as, as, a, as a filmmaker? Well, I mean, that's one of the things I love about documentary filmmaking is the surprises that, you know, as a filmmaker, you discover along the way. Um, and I think with me, my particular process is I'll go in with um, – I'll go into it with some idea of how the story might unfold. I'll have kind of a um like a virtual cork board, so to speak, of how I see the story playing out and how I see the different characters being involved. And then of course I have to, you know, go in with the understanding also that it's probably all going to get upended. So you have to remain flexible and have to see all the different it's like being able to see all the different uh, what do they call them? The metaverse, mm, <laughs> all the different right. ways the story could play out. Um, but that's that's what I love about documentary filmmaking. But it is a, like you said, it's a really intensive process, and it can be uh, a little disconcerting when when things suddenly take a hard left the way they did in this in this documentary. We had some revelations. Um, that we didn't make until about three quarters of the way through filming. Um, 
which, you know, are a couple of the biggest revelations in the film. So I don't want to give away any spoilers, but, but that to me was probably one of the biggest surprises I've ever encountered as a filmmaker. Jerry and Rita are really interested in that. <laughs> this is a couple to take a couple goals to a whole new level, right? I mean, they're, um, the thing about them that I find really interesting is that they found themselves, they, they, I think they view themselves as masters of victimless crimes. The things that they did, they thought that, you know, wouldn't have ramifications, but there are ramifications to the point where here we are in, in 2023 talking about this crime from 985 and the things that are still going, and it still has ramifications in the lives, I'm sure, their children, their family, the people that worked at the museum, to the point where, um, you know, the security guards who are working that that day are crying over over the, the return of, of this painting that was stolen under their watch. That whole kind of, like, thought process that what they're doing is victimless, this is something about them as people, doesn't it, in that they think that not only, number one, did they get away with it? But number two, that it wouldn't be a ripple effect from this whatsoever. It's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's, um, that was exactly the the thought that I had. I'm I'm really intrigued that you had that same thought as well, because it isn't a victimless crime, and and these people aren't meant to be uh, heroes. You know, I um, they are people who didn't either didn't know or didn't care about the impact of of this crime itself because it wasn't it wasn't victimless um you know it impacted all the people at the museum who were heartbroken when it was stolen because it was kind of their crown jewel um it impacted the um the the nephew's life when he realized what it was um and i think but i think the most the most the people it impacted the most originally were the people at the museum whose painting was stolen and all the people over the years who were deprived of the ability to experience that painting and to see mm. it as a result of someone coveting it so much that they thought it should only be theirs, that only they could see it, only they could have it. Jerry, uh, of he and Rita, I mean, Rita in, in her own, own self is an incredibly fascinating person. Jerry Doe... <laughs> Is another another thing altogether. He had this um this book that he wrote, um, a bunch of short stories, kind of like different, not you know from what all accounts and and I, I know um uh, you've said it yourself, not the best written kind of it's kind of like very much like you know pulpy kind of like you know B grade kind of like stuff. But to him, he was a guy that had these kind of delusions of grandeur. He he won. He thought he was a great artist and a great painter and. There's scenes where he's, you know, he, in home videos, he's doing uh, karate. I'm sure he would have thought he could have taught Bruce, uh, Bruce Lee a thing or two as well. Um, that book, though, that that he wrote and in the things that came from it, what does that say to you? What did that say to you about him as a person? I mean, does it say that maybe perhaps he, I don't, I don't want to kind of like do the, uh, do, um, backseat kind of like a, a psychiatry here but he as a person do you think he was like um suffering from some some type of i don't know um uh i don't know uh, mental illnesses or stuff at the time that maybe he was more tapping into um and that's what kind of drove him to do the things that he had or was it just came down to a thing of that he was an incredibly egotistical and jealous man and that was the things that kind of drove him to do the things that he did i think it was the latter um you know his because he's deceased, we couldn't have his, we couldn't have an interview with him. But I think the book itself is his, 
it's his voice and it's it's this really intriguing look into his psyche um because he does say in the introduction to the book that these are all based on real life experiences and he said that to his nephew and um sometimes the stories don't even uh, he doesn't even change the names. Like there are stories where the protagonists are Jerry and Rita, like the the actual names of the characters are Jerry and Rita. And all of the stories um, feature characters who are basically avatars for Jerry and his wife. Um, and so I think when you read that book, you really, I really got an understanding of his psychological makeup. And, and I think he did see that, was someone who had these delusions of grandeur, but also had some deep insecurity as well. So it was kind of the clash of those two types of those two characteristics. The Matt's Movie Reviews podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you will love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon. The world's leading online store, Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. The um, dramatizations in the movie, you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you call them reactments because it seems to me they are less kind of like uh, dramatizations of what really happened and seem like more kind of like adaptations of what Jerry's writing was. Um, and in the film, you have um, Glenn Howerton and Sarah Minich, two terrific actors playing the roles of Jerry and Rita. And the ad- adaptations, these dramatic adaptations of, of Jerry's stories, the tone of it is really interesting. I, I heard you describe it as kind of like a Wes Anderson meets the Coen brothers. And it, it makes complete sense to go there because the eccentricities of these characters the lo- the New Mexico lo- location, the stories involved, just kind of like they they um, uh, uh, appeal themselves to that type of that type of filmmaking as well. Um, and it's interesting as well because in on one end has the film the documentary side of the film gets darker. The 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 adaptations, these dramatic adaptations, they still keep that kind of light flair to them as well. And keeping that tightrope together was such an interesting thing. And what I liked about it as well is that it kept me on my toes as well because. I didn't know if I was watching what Jerry's um uh these Jerry's delusions were showing me or what I was watching was the truth of the matter. And that and I think that at the end of the day, that's what makes this film so intriguing, right? We don't know the truth all the way, but to be able to delve into Jerry's perceptions of himself and what could have happened makes it all that more more, more, more interesting. Oh, I, that's exactly what I was thinking when I made <laughs> that and that to me is. Yeah, I love that un- kind of uncertainty of whether you're seeing uh, what really happened or you're seeing his delusions. And I really do think of those as as adaptations of excerpts from his book. There's only one reenactment per se in the whole film, which is the actual 
theft, which really is like beat for beat, pretty much what happened. Like he really, they really did have the professor who stayed too long in the bathroom. They really did have the student guard who got confused and um, all of these little things actually did happen in such a way that, um, that it was like a comedy of errors that still uh, resulted in a perfect theft. Um, but yeah, I, I, one of the reasons I really, or what I was going for there was um, with those adaptations was kind of that uncertainty of whether you're, you're looking into Jerry's mind with these stories. Mm, There's also kind of that uh, uncertainty of that blend of his delusions versus the, you know, reality and where do those two things meet? Um, In countering the, the, dramatizations you have these archive footage and from what from what i understand well, i mean the film shows that jerry and rita were a very well-traveled couple they loved going around everywhere they loved art they loved culture they loved being in um, amidst other cultures as well and they loved doing these slideshows right to the point where so i know some of the uh family members were just rolling their eyes and even just thinking back about these kind of boring slideshows and jerry going on and on about it from what i understand you had like twelve thousand slides eight hours of eight millimeter footage um delving through all of that stuff and putting it into the film what was that process like because i imagine that um there may be uh, at times maybe you were getting you might feel like you're getting a little bit too much of jerry and he's kind of like um his uh ego um for some of these slides as well it was um it was a lot to look at and luckily we had um an assistant editor who really dove deep into every single slide and i of course watched all of the eight millimeter films um, and yeah, it could, it could be a bit overwhelming because there were so many slides and they're all, you know, um, I almost felt like I was sitting there in one of those slideshows where you can't get out, <laughs> you know, you can't escape. <laughs> You're kind of forced to sit there and watch somebody's slides. So that, that was sort of my experience with it. Is it me or if Jerry and Rita, were around now would and they were traveling the world do you can you foresee jerry being the kind of guy who will take photos of his food and put it on instagram and will be live blogging and doing that stuff because i think he's that type of personality i yes that is exactly like I, that would be what his instagram account would look like i think mm. either photos of food or or um shots of himself posed doing like a uh, very things like the karate or things where he's like a you know yeah, posed to look like a daredevil you know there are those um <laughs> it's funny there are those guys on Instagram who like to pose photos of themselves like casually standing you know with their with their abs you know, <laughs> exposed and it's supposed to be like very casual but you can tell it's totally posed and yeah, and yeah. hoping for likes and that I think would be exactly what Jerry would do <laughs> <laughs> um it's really interesting the the correlation between art and and ego especially when it comes to the whole kind of like thing about art heist um there was a um investigator in in your in your movie he talks about how there's three different types of 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 art thieves there's the ones for opportunity one uh was for financial other one was the ones that just did it for the thrill and that's the one where we kind of like where we meet jerry and, and rita they're the ones and they're really kind of unexpected and it's interesting now how that's kind of evolved to a bit that now 
it's not art heist anymore. Now it's art vandalism. People don't steal art. They vandalize art, for whether it be through political or other purposes. They throw cans of soup on it. They shred it. They do all these kind of things. The evolution of that is really interesting to me. I mean, when it comes to the whole point of, of ego and art, was there anything you kind of took from that in regards to um, how people like Jerry and Rita um, kind of like perceived art as as if it's sort of something for themselves only uh, to obsess, uh, to possess and to only partake in? Um, and also, um, not only that, um, it was uh, something that only they should be able to access as well. Yeah, I think um, I think that does really speak to how they feel about art. You know that it's that it's for them to to have. But I also, in the film itself, there's a moment um, where the conservationists, and this isn't a big spoiler or anything, but the conservationists realized that someone had um, uh, attempted to do their own um, uh, at-home repair work on the painting, you know, that they had painted on it themselves with Hobby Lobby type of paint and that they had, you know, fancied themselves and an artiste who could do that sort of thing. Um, I think that speaks very much to ego and to how um, Jerry perceived his relationship with, with art. Um, And then also the fact that the painting after it was stolen, it was, you know, stapled to, to a frame, uh, to one of those backings and just, you know, stapling right through the painting itself is, is horrible. Um, so I think there's a recklessness there, but there's also hubris in thinking that that um, you have the right to um, touch up, so to speak, someone else's work. I think what's really important for people to realize as well in regards to the thief collector is that on one end, while we're talking about um, Jerry and Rita and the whole and everything about um, ego and, and and lawlessness and, and obsession. There's a counter to that in that when they pass away and the estate the estate goes to their nephew and he allows these kind of like antique dealers to go into the house and look around and stuff, these guys find the painting. They know what the painting is. They know what the painting is worth. Now, the you know, worst sides of our of our of our personalities and minds might think that as soon as people find that, they'll take, they'll exploit this and they'll sell it and they'll keep the money for themselves. But they don't do that. They contact the authorities. They contact the museum. They return the painting. And to me, I think that's something incredibly important in that on one end you have Jerry and Rita who are very possessive about the art and they steal it and they keep it. On the other end, you have people who love the art for what it is and what it was made for and they return it without a dime, without anything. And to be able to do that, I think, speaks to something that is really incredible in the movie in that but while yes we do have this couple in this mystery and everything else the thing we should really take from this from this story is that these guys returned it and now it's back in its rightful place how it should be seen and people can now experience it. i think that was an incredibly touching and uh and such a incredibly uh, humane thing for them to do yeah i think that's one of the big um points i wanted to get across in the film is is how there, you have these two extremely opposite ends of the spectrum with the altars on one end and then the antique store guys on the other end and the choices they made around this painting. Um, 
And I do think that the antique store owners' actions really speak to the the good in humanity. Um, you know, that they were re- willing to return this painting without any sort of um, demands for a reward or and they didn't hold it ransom, you know, they just were willing to give it back without any strings attached. And um, that to me is uh, one of the my favorite parts of the story. Mine too. I thought it was incredibly touching uh, when that happened in their reaction to um, the positive comments that, that people were sending to them and messages as well, I think was incredible as well. Um, when it comes to the story of Jerry and Rita and, and, and this heist and, and these other things that may or may not they have been a part of, um, is their story finished for you? Have Ever since the movie's come out, have you um, received more information? Have you found more things? And if so, can there be possibility of more being made um, from yourself in regards to either um, shorts, features, what have you, in regards to the story? Because I have a, I have a feeling that, um, you know, this is just skimming the surface. There could be more, to, could be more here. Yeah, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I have found out some things, um, but uh, nothing that I feel like would. Uh, could be made into a, a another docu series or another a sequel. Um, I do think there's a lot of potential for a narrative version of it. You know, like a Breaking Bad meets the art world mm. kind of story. Yeah, that'll be cool. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I totally wouldn't rule it out. Well, for everyone out there listening, The Thief Collector, available now on demand, talking about great pieces of art. This is one of my favourite documentaries of the year. I absolutely love this film. Um, and I hope uh, uh, and I hope that, uh, Alison, you're hearing uh, from the enthusiasm of my questions how much I really uh, enjoyed this film and, and the mystery of it because I just I just think that the whole story and the, the ripple effect of it over these decades later and the things, the places where this film goes, it was incredibly intriguing and engrossing for me to watch. So I really recommend everyone to watch this movie. Um, it's a kind of film I think that when you watch it, you want to watch it again because there's so many, so many different things going on because you have the archive footage, the dramatizations, the interviews. Um, uh, it's just incredible work here. And I know, Alison, that I know you've been working as a long time as a documentarian, but this is actually your first kind of feature uh, documentary film, so you really knocked it out of the park here. So congratulations to you. And, um, yeah, I, I love this film very much. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, I can't wait to see what the future of what, what you do. And I'd love to talk to you again when it happens. Thank you. This this makes my day that you loved it so much. It really does. T- totally makes my day. Thank you.